find a seat. Welcome to the One Heart 1030 service. We're so glad you're here. Can we just give Mark a big clap, stepping up, leading more and more. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, music team. Great job, guys. Give you a handshake. Great job. So um, if you're new to One Heart or a church like this, we're so glad you're here. It's a privilege to have you uh, a part of the One Heart family this morning at our 10.30 service. It's cool having Michaela. She's doing double dipping. She, uh, double dipping church. Good to have you here for a double, Michaela. Um, for all of those online who have got COVID, we can't wait to see you release next week here in the building again. And we just believe that God can touch your bodies, that your lungs and everything else can function properly. So we can't wait to see you next week. For those that have a mobile phone, I'm going to encourage you to bring that out in church this morning. There's one. The pastor's telling you to bring your phone out. Get the One Heart Church app. Um, follow the, the link behind you on that poster. Then on the bottom right, there'll be like those three lines. Click that. Go down to notes. And then you'll see Sunday the 17th, a title, Time to Buy a Tent. Time to Buy a Tent. Why don't you nudge the person beside you and tell them, it's time you buy a tent. And so on the church app in the notes, there's some bonus quote content in there just for you. So for those that are on the app, you can see some bonus content that I've put in there just for you. So for those that have a physical Bible, go to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. If you don't know what the book of Haggai is, maybe you've heard it like this, the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Uh, it's one of those minor prophet books. It's one of those ones that if you blink, you miss it. So it's a bit of a tricky one to find in there. But that's where we're going to look. The book of Haggai, chapter 1, time to buy a tent. Uh, I haven't always lived in Port Lincoln, so I do like now, but I haven't always lived in Port Lincoln. I grew up in the Adelaide Hills, so I grew up in the town of Mount Barker, and it didn't matter where I've lived geographically, there's always been one guarantee, that you'd find me in the house of God on a Sunday. So from childhood, it didn't matter where I was, living in Adelaide Hills, living in Port Lincoln, if you wanted to find me on a Sunday, go to the house of God, and there I was. Why did you find me in the house of God? Because I had parents that made the house of God a priority for my life. My parents said, Josh, you've got to be ready at 7 o'clock with your clothes on because we're going to the house of God. I never had a choice of going, are we going to church today? No, Josh, you're going to church. If you're sick, you're going to church because you'll get healed. You're going to church. And so... Uh, but he's saying, I didn't just grow up in the house of God. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Do did I have any Pentecostal grow uppers in here? So I grew up exposed to some crazy things. And so this might be your first time in church, a first time in a church like this. And you might have seen some unnormal things. I grew up in a church where I saw a lot of unnormal things. You might see people raising their hands. You might see people crying. These are all different ways the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives. And I saw some weird things growing up in a Pentecostal church. But they're not weird. They're actually normal supernatural things. And so, and what I loved about my parents, so bringing me to the house of God, it wasn't a choice, it was never an option, it was a conviction, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for that godly heritage they imparted into my life. And so, um, yeah, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I, I was exposed to these supernatural things. I was exposed to speaking in tongues. I was exposed to a heavenly language. I, was, I, I just grew up thinking that's what Christians do, they speak in tongues. I just thought that was a normal thing, Christians... Uh, uh, use that heavenly language. And if you've never, never heard of that before, it's simply something like this. And it's, we believe it's a heavenly encrypted language that 
builds us up that we're able to use to be able to connect to God. And I believe uh, it's a gift for every believer, not some. So if you haven't received that gift, it's just you haven't received it yet. I believe you can receive and activate that gift in your life. But growing up in a church, a Pentecostal church, um, my and as a child, I, we're going to give you some background, right? So as a child, I grew up in a Christian family, and so we had some Christian bedtime routines. Did any other Christians here have a Christian routine as a child? So first step, before the Christian routine part, my father uh, would, would first of all, to get us to get to bed, would, would make it fun. So there's no like the two-parent approach trying to go, oh, why don't you, would it be nice to go to bed now? No, my dad had this routine where he would uh, carry us to the, to our bedroom, and he'll do a big tour to all the, the rooms and all the family. So he'd be like, "Do you want to be a sister? Do you want to be the princess going to bed?" So he'd go to every room. The princess is going to bed. The princess is going to bed. I was never the princess. A good one was the lion. So the lion is going to bed. So he'd go. He'd take me to every room. The lion is going to bed. The lion is going to bed. But my personal favourite was the sack of potatoes is going to bed, and he'd grab me by the feet and be like, "The sack of potatoes is going to bed." So. As this is the routines that I grew up in as a child. But then, so you've done your tour around the house, letting the house know it's time to go to bed. And then they would pray for you and tuck you in. So my parents would tuck me in and pray for me. That was the, the family that I grew up in, right? This, the, the Christian bedtime routine. So then that is my, my process of when you get prayed for, you get tucked in and then you go to sleep. So that's my fr- framing of of prayer. So then I get to church services on a Sunday as a young boy, and at the end of the service, these elderly ladies would would come down to the front. Now, I'm sure many other people did, but my memory only says old ladies, would come down to the front. Then we all know cricket, like a wiki keeper, ready for a classic catch. These wiki keepers would come, they would get prayed for, the wiki keeper would catch them, put them down on the ground, and then they'd have all the front rows, like the front rows would get pushed backwards. The wiki keeper would lay them down, then someone would quickly come and tuck them in for nap time after church. That was my, perce- my perception of a Sunday, Sunday service. Now, obviously, us Pentecostals in the room would understand my theology wasn't quite correct. My perception of spiritual things wasn't fully matured. Uh, my calibration was a little bit off. So to explain what was happening for those that aren't aware in this situation is that for those that are familiar with Jesus' resurrection, like um, we've been singing songs about Jesus rising from the dead. We believe that Jesus' name has power, not because he died on the cross. Many people died on the cross, but it's because he, that the tomb was open. He wasn't there. He was alive. And so we sing in songs about Jesus' resurrection. But before Jesus died on the cross in the crucifixion, these people come to this garden looking for him. And they go, well, where's Jesus? And Jesus goes, well, I am he. And then it was like spiritual bowling, strike. All these, as soon as Jesus said, I am he, everyone fell over under the power of God. And we believe that when you come in contact with the power of God, something's going to shift and something's going to give way. So we believe a normal experience for your body, that if you come in contact with the power of God, something's going to shift and you give way. Same thing with speaking in tongues. When you come in contact with the power of God and you yield to it, your tongue gives way and something happens. And so these old women weren't just having nap time in church. They were actually yielding to the power of God, submitting to the power of God, giving way. And then the cloth wasn't getting a tuck in sleep time. It was a modesty cloth so that 
church could be G-rated. So, but that's, but I grew up exposed to these supernatural things as the normal. It wasn't some weird foreign thing. I grew up as a child going, that's what's normal. You get in contact with the power of God and something gives way. You receive from heaven. And I, I still believe, One Heart Church, we can be a church that receives from heaven. I still believe that we can receive something of the power of God. That's what I love about our awakened services, that we're positioning ourselves to go, God, we're just going to linger a little bit longer. We're just going to soak a little bit longer and we're going to yield and receive something from heaven. And I believe that just like the day of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit blew in that building when the, the believers met together somewhere and then the, the fire of God came down. I just still believe that as we gather in the house of God, we can see something of the supernatural blow in this place, moving our lives where we can leave this place better because we know God and we've had a had an experience with him. And so I, I love the house of God. I've grown up in the house of God, but we've got to ask this question. Well, what makes a house a home? Simple question. What makes a house a home? What do you reckon, Mark? What makes a house a home? People live in it. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Pop quiz. You win, Mark. What makes a house a home is someone lives there. It's a dwelling place. And so you can have a great house, but if no one lives in it, it's not a home. So in the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament, it talks about the house of God, referring to the temple, and it was a house because God's Spirit dwelt there. So it was a house of God because God's Spirit dwelt there. Then we get to the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus, we then discover that no longer is the Spirit of God confined to like the temple, it is now in us, and now we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are now temples of God. And so technically now as New Testament believers, we believe that we are, as an individual believer, we are the house of God. But just like in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the believers are met in the upper room in Pentecost, I still believe that when we come together, it's not the building itself doesn't matter, but when wherever that gathering place is, something of the supernatural can happen, and we've got to prioritize. Let's go, you know what? If the God can move when we come together, I want to come together with my believers, and that's something of the supernatural. Get on me. All right. So, Haggai chapter 1. Let's get into it. Haggai chapter 1. Just to give us a little bit of context, the Israelites, right, they leave Egypt. They're in the promised land for many years. But then, and God is often telling these Israelites, you know what, you're not in this land because you're so good. You're not going to this land because you're such brilliant people. You're going in this land because the people in there needed to be kicked out because they were being naughty, bad people. So they're now living in this land of milk and honey, but then they start abusing the blessing. They start abusing the blessing, living in sin, and God goes, well, hey, just like I removed the people before you, I'm going to remove you now from the land of Israel, and then the Babylonians come and conquer them. And then we're familiar with the stories of like Daniel and the lion's den, might be familiar with the story of the boys in Babylon, where they go in the fire for not bowing down to the idol, they meet Jesus in the fire, all those cool stories. So that's because the Israelites are exiled into Babylon, that's why we see those stories. So then, after being in Babylon, then the king of Persia comes and conquers Babylon, and now Babylon is under Persian control. Then after time, the Persian king goes, you know what, we're going to let some of you Israelites go back to Israel, rebuild the holy city of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and that's where we find ourselves in the book of Haggai, is these people are rebuilding the temple in the city of Jerusalem. That makes sense? So now with that being said, we're going to read Haggai chapter 1, and it says, a call to rebuild the temple. The Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. 
Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink and are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you were busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that all the heavens withhold their dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills and drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops. A drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. A call to God, obedience, sorry, to God's call. Then Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent. The people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the whole remnant of God's people, and they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. Hmm. I can summarize that whole chapter in one easy sentence. I can summarize all what we just read in one simple saying. When you make God's house a priority, he will make your house his. You never have to read Haggai chapter 1 again. Simple as reminded of that. When you make God's house a priority, he will make your house his. Mm. That's a biblical law, a biblical principle you can take to the bank and build your life upon. When you make God's house a priority, he will make your house his, Charlie. You can take that and build your life upon it. Proverbs 14, verse 11, is one of my favorite Bible verses at the moment. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the godly will flourish. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the godly will flourish. I'm, I'm sure you may have heard this quote before in your life. Who left the door open? Do we live in a tent? I've, I've heard that from my mother a few times. I've heard that from teachers a few times. Do, who, do we live in a tent, do we? The door's open. Who left the door open? Do we live in a tent? We read this scripture though. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the godly will flourish. Since when is a tent a better dwelling than a house? Since when is a tent a better home than a house? It's non-logical. There's no common sense. It's not rational. But the thing we've got to understand is about the foundations. So a house has a better foundation and structure than a tent. Any day of the week, you'd say that house is built to last. That house is going to be better in a storm. There's going to be no flapping in the wind. A house has a better structure than a tent any day. Um, but, but here's a, the thing that God's trying to say. A house might have better structures, but the foundation is still wrong. The, God is what we've got to build our life upon. Jesus is what we've got to build our life upon. It doesn't matter how good uh, things seem. Without God, it's worthless. But it doesn't matter how bad things seem. With God, it flourishes. It's time to buy 
a tent. It's time to buy a tent. Now, I'm not saying go sell your houses and buy a tent, but we've got to understand the foundation that we build our life upon. It's not, you can have the best house in the world, extra pool, extra car, garage, but without God, what's the point? It's more blessed to live in a tent with God as your foundation than trying to build your house, build your home without God. The Bible says, why gain the world and lose your soul? I don't want to lose my soul and I had the best life. I want us to have the foundations of God that my life will flourish no matter what it is. And so it's time we build our lives on Jesus, on God, because when we make God's house a priority, he will make our house his. Matthew 6, 33 in the New King James Version. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Uh, we're going to read now the, the verses previous in the, um, back in the New Living Translation. And Jesus is preaching on the mountain, on the Sermon on the Mount, so we're mid-sermon. And Jesus says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Hmm, it's, it's such an interesting thing. What dominates an unbeliever's thoughts is these things. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Hmm. That reminds you of something, what we just read in Haggai. We're going to see a table come up here on the screen. So Haggai's saying, you eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. I love that. So this prophet Haggai is talking about the issues of life. And then Jesus addresses this in his sermon where he goes, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about your, what you'll wear. Seek first the kingdom of God. Haggai's saying when you make God's house a priority, he will make your house his. Jesus is, is, addresses this very thing. Don't worry about the clothes you wear, the food you drink, the, the fluids you consume. Seek first the kingdom of God. So when the, the, the question comes to us, what will we eat? We seek first the kingdom of God. The unbeliever thinks, what will we drink? The Christian says, we seek first the kingdom of God. When the person down the street worries about what will we wear, we seek first the kingdom of God. Because we understand that when we make God's house a priority, he will make our house his. So we got a it's time that we seek first the kingdom of God. So we're going to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? I'll say it like this. Daniel, you cannot be a Christian your whole life. Everyone in this building, we've got to get this revelation. You cannot be a Christian your whole life. Now, I am not saying that you get unsaved, but I'm saying that just because you've grown up in church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you've grown up in a religious household doesn't mean you're a Christian. You've got to have what they call a born-again experience. And can I encourage you, if you have grown up in church, if you have grown up in a Christian family, you are so blessed. You have won the spiritual lottery, and you've got to thank your parents. Say, thank you for the investment that you made in my life. But we've got to understand, just because we've grown up in it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Even that like demons believe that God exists. Demons believe Jesus exists. But we become Christians when we have a born-again experience, when something of the supernatural awakens in us, where we go, oh, I'm not just ticking off a religious box. I know Jesus. And so when we become a Christian, we get reborn and we get born again. So like I was born in Australia, so I have an Australian uh, 
passport now, birth certificate that says you are a, what, a resident of Australia, Australian citizen. So that's how I was born. But when I get born again, I get a new uh, uh, citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. So my new supernatural passport says you come from heaven. You are, and that's why the Bible says that we are aliens, temporary residents on earth. When we get born again, no longer is Australia my home. No longer is South Australia my place of residence. My home now actually is heaven. My home now is the kingdom of God, and I'm on holidays in Australia. I'm on, um, so I don't, there we go. I don't have to take, my boss will be happy with that. I don't have to take holidays. I'm living on holidays because I got a new residency. Every day I have left on planet earth, I'm on holiday in a foreign nation because I am now part of the kingdom of heaven. So when you get born again, no longer are you Australian first or whatever other nationality, you are kingdom of heaven first and we're Australian second or wherever you're from. And so we've got to understand that, those watching online, when you get born again, the kingdom of heaven is now our home and so we've got to seek first heavenly things. So pre-born again, we worry about the things that dominate the thoughts of the unbeliever. How can I pay my kids' school fees? How can I pay this bill? How, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? We're dominated by the thoughts of this world, that what we eat, what we wear, what we drink, but when we then come, become citizens of heaven, when we get born again, we're no longer uh, fixated on the temporary, but we then get a passion for the eternal. We, start, we get reborn and we go, you know what, no longer am I fixated by these temporary things. I am now consumed by eternal things. And we want to then start seeking first the kingdom of God. So we stop worrying about, oh, well, um, I've got I to pay this bill. I've got to do that. And we start worrying about, well, what matters to the kingdom of God are people meeting Jesus. No longer am I here just to provide for my family, which we want to do. We want to bless our family. We want to bless our kids. We want to bless our, our neighbors, whatever it is. But when we get born again, we then transition go well no longer does that consume me i'm now got a, a heavenly kingdom of god desire in my life where are the people in my world going to heaven do the people in my world know jesus the scripture says that jesus isn't delaying with the rapture because he's just like got busy doing something else no it's saying he's being patient though that us the church can witness to more people that many would be saved and so i believe the rapture is imminent, could be any time, but I believe every day longer it's not happened, it's because God's saying the church is on earth to see heaven populated and hell plundered. We've got to understand that that is why when we get born again, they're the desires that we start to get. No longer am I here worrying about the temporary, I am now here to worry about the eternal, and am I bringing the street that I live on with, to me, with me to heaven? Am I bringing my workplace to heaven? Do they, are their souls right with Jesus? That is why we're on this planet. No longer we consumed by it, we then get, we get a hold of the Bible and go, we get that as our foundation. Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples. We build our life on that foundation. We go, Jesus, I hold on to that. I build on that. And that is why I'm on. That's why I don't just do upholstery at work for me. I'm there to be an evangelist. You don't just do whatever your job is. You're there to be an evangelist. Charlie doesn't just go to school to get educated. He's there to be an evangelist because he builds his life on the foundation. He goes, Jesus, what are you saying? What's the kingdom of heaven perspective in my life? Hmm. 
And it's interesting, we're reading Haggai there, and it says, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. And can I tell you, there's many excuses, there's many reasons why not to not seek first the kingdom of God. And the, the people of our world will have many says. Right, we see today the, the agenda of the media, the news, all these things. But the news used to be, back in the day, a place where it would tell you what happened, and we can decide what what about? But now the media has a gender. This is what you will believe. This is what, what you will think. This is how society should be. But we don't live by that life. We go, no, we live by the word of God. And so the media will say, your mum might say, your dad might say, the, the person down the road might say, your teacher might say, the people in our world will have a say over our life. Well, don't go to that church. They're just trying to brainwash you. Uh, they just want your money. That's so unreasonable. Why would you do that? Why would you think that? But do we live a life that the people say, or do we live a life of Jesus say? And I want to live a life of the Jesus say, where I live my life on conviction from the Word of God, not just what the people say. Because as, as we learned in Haggai, the, the people said, don't build the house of God. Don't waste your time on that. Build your own house. And we see it didn't work out for them. But when we live by what Jesus say and we build the house of God, when we make the kingdom of God our priority, that is when life will be blessed and we start to flourish. And so there's two ways we can seek first the kingdom of God found in Scripture. There's many, but I'm just going to cover for this morning, two ways we can seek first the kingdom of God and, it's, and how we can build the house of God. And so first, the first one that we can, the first point on how we can build the house of God and seek, by seeking first the kingdom of God is in your finances. So we've got to prioritize the house of God financially. Malachi chapter 10, oh, sorry, chapter 3 verse 10 says, this is one of my favorite Bible verses of all time. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there can be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. We're going to pause there. Can you tap yourself and say, me, for me? You've got to understand this scripture verse is for you, for anyone in this building. You, you're included, not the person beside you, for you. God will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a, a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It reminds me of Ephesians 3 verse 20 that God can do exceedingly abundantly above your imagination. But when we commit to saying, God, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, we're going to prioritize the house of God with our finances and start tithing, God can blow our imagination. God can do far more than we could ever believe because we put that financial thing first. And I believe God's blessings can flow. I believe it's far more blessed in my life living on 90% with God's blessing than having 100% without God's blessing. It's far, I have far greater uh, blessings from heaven on 90 than with 10 that's why it's time to buy a tent. Because I'm going, God, I'm no longer going to worry about having the best house. I'm content with the tent with God's blessing over my life than living with 90%, uh, 100%, sorry, without his blessings. And uh, the other thing as well is when it comes to the tithe, it's, so we, if you're unfamiliar with that, we believe that there's a biblical principle that says when we give 10% of our income to God, he will open up the windows of heaven over our life and bless us in ways that 
we couldn't try to do it all on our own. And so you'll see, again, the media, I talked about it before, has an agenda. I'll see the media attacking churches and saying, oh, yeah, they, they tax 10% of their, of their people as if it's like some have to do it. It's not a have to, it's a get to. When you get born again, it's not, you don't have this stingy heart where you go, oh, the church wants my money. No, you go, I just want to give. I want to trust God with my finances. And you'll never have Pastor Rob come to your house and be like, Mark, what's your, let me see your pay slip. Oh, mm, you're not tithing. No, the church doesn't do that. It, it's, it's, your own, it's your own conscience. It's your own heart. We go, God, I want to trust you in my finances. And I'm going to believe that with 90%, you're going to bless me than trying to do it all in my own strength. And the other thing with tithing as well, rather than it being a tax, it's about the first. It's, it's more about the first percent than it is even about the 10%. We're going, God, before I pay my bills, God, before I buy my clothes, before I buy my fluids, I seek you first, and I believe, God, you'll provide me those things. And let me just brag about the, the goodness of God in my life regarding to tithing, right? So I was about 14, 15. It could even mean older, but I... Oh, and I got my first job. And then growing up in church, I got the revelation of tithing. And I didn't want to work for the money. I wanted to work so I could tithe. Because I was like, I want to, I want to, I just want to do it. I love worshiping God with my hands raised. And I wanted to worship God financially. It's just, that was just my, as I said, I've grown up in a Pentecostal church. So I have some, I was exposed to stuff. And I was I'm like, I can't wait to tithe. So I started tithing. And then um, God's blessing started to flow in my life. And so I was, um, playing the bass at church and got my, I was 16 and I've got my L's, getting towards getting my P's and I had this dilemma. And I'm like, well, I don't own my own bass and I don't own my own car. What am I going to do here? So I had a bit of money saved up, but I had three options. Option one, I could buy a, a good bass and a dodgy, dodgy car. I could buy a dodgy bass and a decent car or I buy one and not the other. And so... I'm about 16, I'm praying, oh God, I don't know what to do here. Do I buy two dodgies? Do I buy um, a good and a dodgy or whatever? And so I'm, God, I don't know, you've got to provide for me here. Then I got my, recently got my peas and then this guy comes up to me and says, Josh, um, you're on your peas, aren't you? I'm like, yep. He goes, you got a car? No, I don't. Josh, I want to give you a car. I'm going to give you my car. And now he didn't give me a Ferrari. He didn't give me the brand new top of the range vehicle, but he gave me a miracle. And so I, I'm not going to discount the miracle of God. Now, God might give you a Ferrari. Fantastic. But I, got, I received the miracle that I was able to buy myself a good base to, to do at church. Why? I believe that's because the windows of heaven were open over my life because I trusted him with my tithe. And I didn't tithe to get. I just tithed because I was worshiping God. But the miracles flowed. And I'm not going to say, God, no, no, I'm just going to tithe and don't bless me. But I, I received those blessings, but it's not why I did it. I did it because I trust God. Last year, I've, ever since I've could, I've made sacrifices for the one priority offerings at our church, giving over and above our tithes. And I remember going, God, I was praying, God, what figure do you want me to give to one priority. So I was like, whew, okay, I can do that. And then I worked out a budget each week. I got to save up to get to that amount. And it was a weekly uh, sacrifice to get to that amount. And, um, but I saved that up weekly to get there. Then I was at another Christian event and they, they share this thing. Um, actually, some of the, I'll encourage you as a church to be praying for it. Youth Alive is holding a thing called Stadium 22 in the city of Adelaide where they're going to be 
a massive outreach event where we're going to believe for hundreds of teenagers to find Jesus. But they were promoting this thing and they want to put on free. And I was challenged to give. And so that was the biggest offering I've ever given without saving up. And I'm like, oh, I felt that offering. But then can I tell you, this year I got a pay raise to the equivalent of what I gave up one priority last year and that offering. And now I've been talking to my friends and that, saying, God just keeps blessing me. God just keeps favoring me. This is crazy. It's not crazy. It's here. It's the foundation that I built my life upon. And so we can look at it like, that's ridiculous. How could that amount right up? But it's not ridiculous. It's the word of God, and I've applied it. And I can encourage you, God, just like God's been flourishing and blessing my life, He can bless yours when you commit to putting Him first. All right, last point. Oh, here's the other one with that. Because you never come second when you put God first. You've got to remember that. You never come second when you put God first. I've never come second when I put God first financially. And other things in my sporting life, I've never come second when I've put God first. Number two is family. Prioritize the house of God with your family. Joshua 24 verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wow, what a statement from Joshua. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not a choice, but it's a pattern. It's a habit and it's a decision. We will serve the Lord. And he was saying, he was talking to the people of Israel saying, you've got two options, like you've got some options here. You can serve the gods of the past you can serve the gods of the people where you live, or you can serve God. And every day we have that decision. Do we serve the, the gods of our parents? Alcohol addiction? Do we serve the, the, the gods of our parents? Um, could be uh, gossip, envy. There's different gods that the people in our world could, could worship. Or do we worship the gods of the school that we go to? Do we worship the gods of the people that we work with, the sport team that we play with? Or do we worship God? And I believe that we're going to have families in one heart church where we go, you know what? We're not worshiping the gods of the past. We're not going to worship the gods of our society. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God first and live a blessed life like that. And I believe that as a church, you're not, we're not just called to a ministry in this house. We're not just called to a ministry out in the world. We've got a dual ministry where we do both where we find our place to serve in ministry outside of church and we find our place on a Sunday where we serve. And what's so awesome about having a church where we seek first the kingdom of God with our families, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. A Sunday service, the book of Ephesians, it says that these gifts, like it talks about like the apostle, the, pre, the, the pastor, the teacher, these things were given to equip the saints for the ministry. What we do on a Sunday service as a church of one heart, we're doing that. We're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We have a toddler's program. That's not babysitting. We're equipping those saints for the work of the ministry. We have a kid's ministry. That again, that's not just going, oh, well, we're, we're just babysitting these kids so the parents can be in a service. No, we're equipping those saints for the work of the ministry. Our youth ministry is the same. The church is the same. We don't just come in here to go, oh, well, we're having a good time. No, we do it because deconstructionists will want to say, oh, yeah, why does church do 
do this? Why do they gather like this? What does the Bible really say? No, we understand it's equipped the saints for the work of the ministry. And we want to live a life where God doesn't just bless you, but He blesses your kids. He blesses your grandkids. That we be equipped for the work of the ministry. And I'm really just believing that we're going to see great, strong, healthy families flourishing in our church because the parents have found their area, the kids find their area. And I love the book of Acts 16 where it talks about the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. And I'm just really believing in faith that we're going to see the fire of God come upon your kids. We're going to see the fire of God come upon your grandkids where they have a passion to go, I'm not just the monkey that got lucky, what the world is wanting to tell us, but God placed me on planet Earth in 2022 as a five-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old for a reason, to make the Port Lincoln, the Air Peninsula, wherever we find ourselves blessed and favoured because we are here. And the other great thing about bringing your family to the house of God is the laying on of hands. Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift, fan to flame, the thing what was deposited in your life by the laying on of hands. And I believe just as Joshua says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to have a conviction. We go, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to have the laying on of hands where fathers and mothers will have something of the Holy Spirit poured upon them, something of the Holy Spirit awakened within them. Brothers and sisters will have something of the supernatural power of God by the laying on of hands deposit something on their life. We're going to see kids, something deposited on them in the kids' ministry, something deposited in, in on them in the youth ministry, where they would rise up and go, I'm on earth for a reason. And I'm just believing that we can see that. Laying on of hands at Mark 16, that these things will follow the believer, that they'll cast out demons. I believe in the laying on of hands, we're going to see demons cast out here at One Heart Church. I believe we're going to see miracles take place, healings take place. We had Mark, oh, not Mark, sorry, we had... Aaron, that was his name. Aaron sitting there in the first service. He was in a, in a church service in Adelaide a month ago and radically healed. Radically healed. Talk to him about his testimony. And I'm believing at One Heart Church, that's going to be our reality weekly. That at Awaken Nights, on a Sunday service, we're not just gathering because we want to for the sake of gathering. We're gathering because we know when we come together, when the laying on of hands, your hand on someone, their hand on you, we're going to see something of the supernatural deposit on people's lives and it's, a, and it's family orientated. Why don't we just stand to our feet right now as we as we land this plane? And I'm going to pray in faith that we can see something take place. And so when we make God's house a priority, He will make our house His. When we make God's house a priority, He will make your house His. Wow, I love that. And I, I'm just believing that we can today make a decision. If your foundation is not, no, not the foundation of Jesus, you can decide today, Jesus, I'm making you my foundation. Today, I buy a tent. Today, I buy the tent. We're no longer am I worried about having the best house and not you. No, God, I'm happy living a tent if I have your blessing in my life. Two other things I'm going to pray for today as well is that for some of us, uh, you may have not yet trusted God with your finances. Say, you know what, God, I'm going to seek first you in my finances. No longer am I going to fit my faith around uh, like around my life, but I'm going to make my life fit around my faith. And no longer I'm going to make my budget fit around my, my finances, but I'm going to fit my finances around 
God's plan for my life. And so I'm going to pray in faith that that might be you to make that first up there. God, today I'm going to decide to seek you first in my finances. And the final one will be, I'm going to pray for our families, that your families would know Jesus, that your families would seek first the kingdom of God, that they would find their fit in the house of God, they would find their fit in our society, in our world. And I'm really believing that you might be like, I'm just a youth in this place. I don't have a family yet, but you can decide, as Joshua said, as for me, my house will serve the Lord. There you go, today I'm creating a legacy that my husband and my wife, that our kids will serve the Lord, that our family will find their place. So right now, if one of those things are for you this morning, why don't you raise your hand as a sign and say, God, that's me. God, I need you to move. So God, right now, as Haggai talked about to us this morning, that when we make God's house our priority, you will make our house yours. God, we want to live that life where we buy the tent, that we build the foundation on you, that Jesus, you are what we build our life upon, not build our life and try and fit you in somewhere. God, we can, we submit to you today and believe that you can create the proper platform on which our life will flourish. And God, we want to live a flourishing life with you at the center, with you at the core of what we do. God, right now, I pray for those in the building that may have not yet put you to the test with their finances. But God, we don't want to live a life consumed by what will we eat? What will we wear? What will we drink? What do we feed our kids? But God, we want to live a life where we seek first the kingdom of God and trust and believe that you will supply our family what they need, that you can provide us what we need. And God, as you've been faithful in my life, I believe you will be faithful in their life. So give them the courage and the boldness, just like the enthusiasm was sparked into rubble and Yeshua and the whole remnant. God, I pray that an enthusiasm will be sparked in the people here, in the people watching online, that I would understand the call of God for their life in their finances. And God, all right, I just pray for families. God, I pray that One Heart Church would be a church where families uh, seek first the Kingdom of God, where it's not just a faith in their parents, but it's a faith of the children. It's a faith of the grandchildren and their grandchildren. God, I believe in faith that we're going to see in our kids' ministry the fire of God coming upon our children, that we're going to see something of the supernatural break out in toddlers, in our youth ministry, God, where it's not just babysitting fun club, but God, it's, it's a depositing of the supernatural power of God. And so God, I just pray that we'll see parents being so blessed by having the house of God. That we'll see great leaders and people investing in our young people and in our church. That we'll see your hand, God, moving powerfully and, and doing something real and new in each generation because it's your promise. And so God, I just thank you that as we seek you first in all facets of our life, our finances, our family, God, you will be faithful and you will do a miracle.